0: this week on the zone of truth griff and i recap our time at origins game fair 2023 discuss adding mythic ranks to the carrying crown campaign and of course answer some listener questions i'm your host steve in the studio with your gm and my co-host griffin roll a will save you're in the zone of truth
1: And we're back we're back baby yeah first time we're recording anything since the end and the gaming room couldn't looks be worse
0: the same i mean it looks <laughs> the same couldn't be worse though so. we basically stood up after recording the epilogue close the door on this room close the door open it a two weeks later <laughs> for this recording yeah, it's like a time the, capsule. This is the first thing that we're recording since the finale. So um, this weekend we've got some bestow curse on the docket. We've got a little speak with plants, but this is the first thing back at it. How you feeling
1: post game rap, Griff? Pretty good. Yeah. I'd say relax, but then we did basically a full week at Origins. Yeah. Which wasn't relaxing. <laughs> no, no, the opposite it wasn't. of relaxing. I took PTO to have a less relaxing time. Then i would at work i took pto to in my words
0: when i was talking to somebody today party for four days yeah. at, at this game fair <laughs> oh boy that was so much fun but yeah it does feel good to finally wrap carrying crown i'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot in like our post finality charity stream and everything but i just really enjoyed you know what I think my favorite part of that day, the day that we recorded the finale, we did the final fight for most of the day. We did the epilogue episode right after that. And then unfortunately we went long, so we had fancy dinner reservations that we missed, but instead we just like went to our local watering hole and got dinner at like 1030 at night. (laughs) But it was just the sweetest time where Chris joined us. And so the five of us, six of us are just sitting right around a table and like, we're just peppering each other with questions like, hey, when was your favorite whatever type of fights? Or like, hey, do you remember that time four years ago when this happened in the game? Wow, I completely forgot about that. That was just such a pleasant time just sitting around the table and reminiscing. And then when the food came out, just devouring it in 30 seconds flat. God, that was starving. the
1: fastest to be a long time.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we ate brunch and we ate that. Mm-hmm with like 14 hours in between
1: 11 a.m 10 p.m yeah. <laughs> well yeah man well besides that what you been up to i've been watching the cyberpunk edge runner anime mm. i finished that because it's just one season it's fantastic i can't believe i slept on it for so long it's brutal like very violent sure and no i didn't play the cyberpunk game mm-hmm I like the premise and the, like, setting, I guess, but I just, when the game launched, it was super buggy, and then I always told myself, oh, maybe get into it later, and then I never did. Mm -hmm. But the anime is dope. It's kind of all of the concepts of the game wrapped up into, like, one person's story, Mm -hmm. and I highly recommend it. You know, that's exactly consistent with...
0: Basically everything that I've heard about that anime, and it's got nude titties in it. Sign me up. Where do I, Where do I sign on? You know, let's the go. Netflix,
1: man. You <laughs> sign on to Netflix. So yeah, that's the must watch, in my opinion. Haley and I got a Dropout TV subscription, and we've been watching Game Changer, the game show, mm-hmm. like nonstop, and it's so fucking funny. What's Game Changer? Do you know Dropout TV? No. It's like the offshoot of College Humor. Okay. And so Game Changer is Sam Reich is the host and he just gets a bunch of people from like Dimension 20 and like College Humor and all of the things that are like kind of tangential to that. So mm-hmm. just like usually three people. So like three comedians every episode and they don't know what the like nature of the game show is that day. So like one of the days it was just like make noises. Okay. So you won points by emulating the noise that he like gave you on your turn. But there was one that was like surreal where they were just like, it was essentially a set. Like they had a, they had a TV show set set up in front of their set. So in front of their game show set, they had this TV show set and the host was using like crowd noises to do a hotter, colder thing Mm. to get them to do things on the set. So like the first thing was to like check the calendar on the fridge so, like, they got a point if they did that, but they had to figure out what to do based off of, like, the crowd booing them when they were doing the wrong thing. Or, oh, like, that's fun. So it was, like, a hotter, colder thing, but with actions. Mm-hmm. So, like, sometimes it was, like, break a chair. Like, break the yeah. chair <laughs> on the set. Ooh, that would be tough to figure out something specific like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, like, one was take a bite of a lemon. Like, one mm-hmm. of the lemons. It was so. And how much was the crowd fucking with you? <laughs> Right, right. Like will cheer for someone to eat a well, lot so it's, it's a fake crowd it's oh, a, it's like okay. he's got varying degrees of crowd noise Okay. so like he's got varying degrees of like cheering and laughing and varying degrees of booing mm-hmm. so they know how far off they are but like one was a survivor clone one was like the bachelor okay. but it was hilarious because okay. it was like the bachelor shortened down into two like 30 minute episodes <laughs> <laughs> and like the guy is like a very bisexual comedian so they had like so of course they picked him to do the bachelor and they like brought in all these people from LA just like <laughs> five dudes and five chicks and he's like <laughs> the pick <of> the litter <laughs> <laughs> but they give out like real rewards like he was like a weekend in Cancun or something for the one that won like they went
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the bachelor but um it's just hilarious it's it's a ridiculous show and like if you know dimension 20 like Brendan lee mulligan's on it often he's the, like their dm mm-hmm. and a lot of the dimension 20 people are on it and that's another good reason to get dropout i just haven't watched one of their campaigns they're a, they're like a stream D show they're kind of like about as popular as critical role sure so um so yeah dropout tv worth oh, yeah. it okay good to know man
0: good to know well as for me geez I- i've been busy I've been uh, listening to some old school Bring Me the Horizon lately, so that's pretty dope on that Suicide Season album. What else is going on? I'm concurrently reading three different Attack on Titan books because I'm absolutely obsessed with that property right now. But what I've really been getting into lately is this is mostly because of Post Origins Hangover. I've just binged a ton of movies. And they're they're movies that I've always wanted to see but never have. Just like those ones that I have like passing interest in seeing but never got around to it. So I finally saw like The Perfect Storm. I saw Panic Room. I'm watching Unbreakable right now, which I've actually seen before, but it was so long ago that I don't really remember any of it. By the way, Panic Room stars an extremely young Kristen Stewart. She's like. 9 in that movie. I was like, oh, that's fun to see. But the one movie that really, really got me, I'm a big David Fincher fan, and I saw Gone Girl for the first time. Gone Girl is fabulous. It is, I think without a doubt, at least in my mind, Ben Affleck's best role. He's so damn good in it. But if you're unfamiliar, I would say check it out if you're looking for, like, a good thriller drama. Essentially, The plot is Ben Affleck hates his wife like (laughs) he just really does. He got into a relationship that he didn't really want to be in. And there's like a, a weird dynamic, too, because like she's kind of famous, but she's kind of not. She doesn't have any friends but him and he knows other people. But what happens very early on in the movie is that he comes home one day and his wife's gone. Gone girl. Get it? Um,
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah, but it looks... Dude, where's my girl? Dude, I mean, that's what they should have called it. But I think, unfortunately, it was based off a book or something. So, like, they've already got that. I think that should have been the tagline, though. Dude, where's my girl? (laughs) But the premise is that he comes home, she's gone, and it really, really looks like there was some sort of violent crime that happened in his house. Like, it looks like someone came in and killed her. And the story follows this... The uh, as police detectives are trying to find out what happened and he really 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 looks like a suspect because he is like the only person who like knows his wife really well because she doesn't have any other friends and like, but like he doesn't really know anything about her because he doesn't really care about her they ask him like oh who does she hang out with where does she go like what's she into and like he's just like coming up blank so he looks terrible and then There's some wild shit in this that happens in this movie. So that's really all I'll say. I'll just say, like, if you're a David Fincher fan and or have an interest in like a really, really good mystery thriller, I would check that out. It's very, very good. But let's talk about the thing that's been taking up most of our free time in between right now and when we wrapped the Carrying Crown campaign. That was Origins Game Fair 2023, which ran Wednesday to Saturday. Technically Sunday, but we weren't doing Sunday of last week. (laughs) We did not make it to Sunday. Griff, did you have fun at Origins? I did. Yeah, had a blast. It very much so felt like a pre-COVID game fair. And that's not to say like there weren't people masked up or anything. none, None of that. It just felt like there was a turnout. And I haven't been to a convention that had a turnout since... 2019, So it was just cool to be back in that atmosphere and meet up with tons of people that listen to this show, which is so exciting. Thank you all for coming out. I got as much of a complete list as I think I've got. Um, I I don't think it's a complete list. No, it's not. (laughs) I'm going to have my foot in my mouth here when I shout some people out in a moment for coming out. But you know what? Right off the rip, huge props to the SDF crew. They brought their entire crew out. Everybody that's on the podcast, their new boy Dustin, their other possum pal E Robs, like they brought like seven freaking people. And guess what? They're all super cool in person.
1: And their Airbnb was close to Origins, which
0: is a huge plus. Party HQ, as I like to call it. That was a blast. So uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that we got into at Origins, just because, you know, this is fun to talk about. So Wednesday was the day that was a the little quickening. Yes, the quickening. Basically, you know, the exhibit hall's not set up on Wednesday. I think it's like the cheapest
1: day to get into. It's ten bucks every other day. is forty-five. Yep. Well, it might be Thursday. Might be like thirty, and then Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday. I think are all forty-five. Yeah. So
0: exhibit hall's not open, but the gaming hall's open. And really, we, the two of us, just went down from the HLP to kind of get the lay of the land, see what's going on, and yeah. we got a. We got sucked into something kind of fun. What was yeah. that, Griff?
1: Got addicted to crocodile
0: Hell yes, addicted. brother. Addicted. So give me the give me the two minute
1: rundown of what this is. I think it technically falls into the board game category, mm-hmm. it, but it's got its own board. So it's like a wooden carved board that's in the shape of a circle, and I would call it a dexterity game. It's like a mixture between shuffleboard and like almost pool or cornhole mm-hmm. in a way where you're you have little discs and you have to flick them to a certain spot on the board and different spots on the board score points and you have to play defense against your opponent who is also flicking their other colored tokens onto the board Mm -hmm. and the person with the most points wins the round obviously it's a lot more intricate than that but honestly it's like super easy to learn and teach i think you and i drunk picked up on it in like five minutes yes you and I drunk qualified for the finals in the Crocodile Tournament at Origins <laughs> after having played for half an hour. Yes, we qualified for the finals after playing
0: maybe three games total before then. Drinking two liquor drinks each. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going up against people who are playing, and we just have bottles on the
1: table. Yeah, they like I- know what they're doing, and we're like, right, hey, you got it.
0: <laughs> oh man, good try, man. Okay, <laughs> just like a, a little loose. But boy, yeah. So there was that tournament every day people were qualifying for finals which were going to take place on Saturday and we made it right away on Wednesday. So yeah. then we got to hold that over everybody else's head for the rest of the convention yep. essentially.
1: Yeah, cuz a lot, you know, we convinced a lot of people in our little tribe to at least attempt to mm-hmm. join us in the tournament, but no one else made it legitimately. Yeah, nobody else did it. Chris and Nathaniel got in through technicality. <laughs> <laughs> <This> <laughs> got is true. in through uh, somebody dropped out of the tournament and we need a last-minute replacement. We got, like, 10 friends over there that people willing to play.
0: Yeah, see that crowd of people that's waiting for us to play? I bet a couple of them want to play, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, we got addicted to that on Wednesday, and we just kind of called it early Wednesday. didn't want to get too wild because the rest of the days were going to be pretty crazy. Yeah, we knew... There's was going to be a lot of crocodile in our
1: future, so oh, yeah. couldn't blow it all in one day. Yeah.
0: Thursday is the day that STF, well, I think they got in late Wednesday night, but that's when we met up with them for the first time. And I was just like, as soon as we started chatting with them, I was like, oh, like this is one of the first times that I'm meeting up with legitimate friends that I've made online, like people that I've like actually forged a real connection with. And boy, they were like, they were just, they were everything that I wanted them to be. They are like, so cool. Oh, hey, I'm finally meeting my friends of four years. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. And then the exhibit hall was open. So we're just rolling around, having fun, checking out games and stuff. Spent a fair amount of time over at North Market getting dinner. And
1: uh, we drank like all day at North Market. Drinking, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> drinking at North Market,
0: yeah. And then walked back to their Airbnb where we proceeded to uh, turn up. Yeah, we tur- turned up. Turn up a
1: little bit friday honestly pretty much the same as thursday right (laughs) like (laughs) yeah like we went to commute we actually had like so it was more than just me and steve Mm -hmm. on friday on so Haley and chris joined us and eric joined us and so we had a little bit bigger of a squad Mm -hmm. now what i'll call out from
0: the friday night party at stf hq was that one Shout out to Rez for bringing on her way down, brings a bottle of Malort. So I was passing that around, having the time of my life, sharing it with people, and we did some pretty good damage on that bottle. We got probably through like a
1: third of it. You did make all, all like 15, 20 people that were there try it. So. Mm-hmm. It went well. Everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. Uh, yeah. But the
0: other thing that happened is what I think a fair amount of people don't know is that of course, there's like the graveyard of cans of seltzers that we've hated on this show that we just like leave over your fridge, and sometimes we'll grab something out of there. It, when, yeah, we call it the the blackout uh, <laughs> container. <laughs> yeah. It's where you go when you're basically as desperate as you can be. But hanging out there were four cans of sesh, and we've been keeping that on the down low because we don't want to get pressured into drinking those and any one of our myriad events. But hey, we, we don't want to drink them. We don't. But Haley threw those in her bag and brought them to the STF meetup. And, uh, most devious move I've seen
1: in a long time. Just passing them out to people. She truly is the most devious woman <laughs> in all of Columbus City. So she she iced people with sashes, which is a horrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And I think Zack was the only one that finished his. Yes. Zach drank it in a
0: preposterous way, poured it into a glass on ice, just sipped it for two hours.
1: Crazy, absolute Mad man. Everyone else took like two sips and poured it out. I yeah. think because <laughs> yeah. it was terrible. Because it's horrible. Yeah,
0: I saw Adam take down a little bit of it and just be like, "No, that's enough." I'm not. I'm never. That's doing enough. Again. I'm not trying to harsh my entire evening. Yep. Then uh, Saturday, oh boy, just a lot of. Let's see. We went to brunch again at Gamut, so we ate at Gamut twice in like eighteen hours. Yeah, we were real patrons (laughs) swung back through the convention spent more time on the floor picked up some free rpg day books there's a, a pathfinder and starfinder scenario out there free if you find them that's probably over at this point free rpg day stuff but oh i don't know um cool to pick up for sure and then we had our big crokinole finals
1: which double elimination first round me and steve against two of the volunteers selling the crocodile boards.
0: Yeah, like with the t-shirt <laughs> on. With the company t-shirt on. <laughs> Lost. That's like if the next Halo game comes out, and I play it for an hour... And then get into a tournament, and the first person I go up against is like a game developer at Bungie or 343 Industries, whatever. How the had, fuck is this fair? That's so like what's going had, on like,
1: here. It's like if they had like a no books allowed like character creation contest mm-hmm. for like a Pathfinder 2e character, and it was like, you know. I'm going up against Jason Bowman or someone who just. Right, like or designed it was, or it was like us and somebody that's only played 5e. Yeah. It's like that's basically how it shook out. Uh huh. Which so, is fine. I mean they're allowed to play, but they shouldn't be. Yeah. So Brown Castle Games.
0: We lost immediately and then went into the losers bracket, which I think we put up a decent fight against those guys. And and the guys that we were playing against the second time I actually did enjoy playing with. They were kind of fun.
1: Yeah, they were fun. And I felt like we were like much closer matched One hundred percent But there was still like a part of me that was like, We need to lose this and go to the meetup. Which is exactly what we did. (laughs) Because then right
0: after that the whole squad got together, goes to Wolfs Ridge. Uh, Locked down some tables early and then um, opened up some tabs. Opened up some tabs, uh, put some beers on them. Yeah. And kept that going for a long time.
1: Quite some time.
0: It was great. After that, we walked down the street to Pins as advertised, bringing most of the squad. A couple people tapping out just because it's getting late. But this is where I'll do my shout out here. So, Absolutely, I'm going to miss people, and if I do, I'm sorry. As Call you, him out for as it. As you yeah, that's on the fine. forums. Yeah, fucking at me. I Drag him through the streets. Um that's fine because yes, you may have suspected. I had a couple drinks at that point. But yeah, yeah, we had the entire SDF crew out there. We had Finder, Nathaniel, Mr. McMagma, we had Rez. We had our boy Eric from uh Ten Law Gnomes, our, our local boy. Eric and the Norse Foundry gang all came out to our meetup, which was awesome. We met some really cool folks, Claire Marlin and Avery. Great to see them there. Pixie Diva. It was just a really good spread of people. And I don't know if you can see anybody that I'm forgetting on this list. I Not know immediately, more, or I don't right? know
1: their usernames. Exactly. And I want to call out people like, without permission, without their usernames.
0: Right, right. So like, great to see all you folks. Thanks for coming out. I had a blast.
1: And that pretty much was Origins, right? What else did I miss? What? But duckpin bold. Oh yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, I think Chris had the high score of the night, which shocked me. Really? Yeah, Chris got something in the one forties. I had second highest, I believe, in the mid one twenties. And I think McMagma had. We might have been second, and th- I can't remember which of us was second and which was third. But he had a game that was in the one twenties as well. Nice. Which was oh, it's hard to do in duckpin. Yeah. Duckpin's like a pain in the ass to get a strike in. You got the little bowling ball,
0: the little pins, and the pins are all on the strings. So it's like,
1: it's pretty tough. So I will say, I feel a little bad. I put a list of things I wanted to try at Origins <laughs> oh, yeah, in the did. Origins chat. I did see the Pirate Board booth and get to like flip through a couple pages of it. I didn't get to play it, but I was kind of shocked. It kind of felt like Chaosium was like the big publisher yeah. that was there. Like, White Wolf or whoever does Vampire the Masquerade now Mm -hmm. wasn't there at all. So there weren't any, like, learn-to-play games or any of that. Besides an organized playroom, no Paizo. Yeah, there's no Paizo besides organized play. There was no Wizards Mm -hmm. besides probably Adventure League. You know, kind of the bummer of the whole thing was we got our tickets, like, three days before. Mm -hmm. Most of the events of stuff that was running was, like, sold out. Yeah. So I looked for a couple, like... Blood on the Clock Tower games which I still very much intend to play because I think that'd be very fun because it it seems you know how we were like addicted to Avalon for a Mm -hmm. long time oh yeah it's like that but like everybody has rules instead of just like being a generic good guy so I'd really like to play that at some point but just didn't get a chance and yeah I didn't join any of the werewolf rooms because they were all all the big ones were like late at night when we were fucking hammered Mm. (laughs) yeah I was partying sorry Sorry,
0: I've been rolling around this con all day with two of the stiffest liquor drinks I've had all year in my bag. Yeah, those were fucked.
1: (laughs) Should I say something about those? Those were like, each of them, each day I was rolling in with half a fifth of Tito's Mm -hmm. between two Gatorade bottles. But I had to make the Gatorade, because Gatorade's clear, and I wasn't bringing in like, I don't want to ruin any of my water bottles. Yeah, So, I mixed it with water, and then I put these like Alani energy packets in because mm-hmm. they're the blue Alani, and I was like, "Perfect, that's gonna make it like blue, like Glacier Freeze." Just made it look like cum. <laughs> so then I had to drop even more energy in it with the Mio like mm-hmm. Blue Raz energy, and that got it to the right color. But like at that point, I'm, basi- I'm basically loading two old school Four Locos. One hundred percent, yes. So, I'm rocking two old school four locos, which I only drank at the con, and we were only like at the con any given day for like four hours. Mm-hmm. We were at the con all day, but we were at the convention center for yeah. four hours, you know? So, I housed both of those within the span of four hours, and w- between all the beers at North Market and everywhere else we went, it was a uh, liddy city. Indeed. Well, there's a couple more origin stories.
0: Just telling them on Discord, or be there, or yes, had to be there. Maybe, maybe it's the
1: better way. Let them die. Guys, jolly smoking my pipe. i fucking reeked of tobacco. <laughs> All
0: right, let's change the topic for a minute here. So when we were going back and forth via text a couple days ago, like, hey, we got to do this zone of truth. What do you want to talk about? You mentioned, hey, let's talk about Mythic a little bit because that's something that we're injecting into the campaign that clearly is not supposed to be in there and took a little tweaking on your end to make it work especially given our party size so as people are gearing up for the big final combat there's probably a fair amount of people that listen who either came over from bestow curse or just listen along and don't really know much about myth or like know the adventure path and are like why the fuck are you adding mythic here yes so let's try and answer those questions get like a baseline of what this subsystem of the game is what you can do with it and how it was implemented here so that going into this finale if you're not familiar and i wasn't familiar you'll have a little bit of a baseline beyond what we talk about at the character level ups so first baseline question what level does this campaign end at and why did you add mythic to that griff this one's for you of course
1: i believe it ends at 15. mm-hmm and that's like after you fight the BBEG. oh so okay. you guys would have been at 14 going into that mm-hmm. uh, which sucks in a super low level <laughs> why did yeah. i add mythic to it because like i couldn't justify you guys like having a flying ship and fighting ancient dragons and fighting this huge threat fighting armies without you guys actually being powerful. Yeah. Given the scope and importance of
0: what's happening here, I think it does make sense.
1: I've definitely like played up the importance of this AP. <laughs> oh, yeah? A ton. Yeah. I mean, it's like you guys just fucking sneak your asses into Gallaspire and mm-hmm. fight. You know what I mean? It's not like this big army building thing or sure. any of that or like the mustering of all the forces of the Whispering Way. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of what I've thrown in is like suggested stuff for after the campaign. Ads. Really? Like Signavier and the vampire war and all that kind of stuff is like suggested post campaign stuff. Oh, that's cool. I never thought about that
0: before taking some of that and pulling it up. And if you don't read APs, you, you might not be aware that once you get to the end of one, there may be that natural question of like, well, what do we do now because I'm not ready to say goodbye to these heroes and they give you a couple like thematic things that are tied into the story that you don't need to do like your story does wrap up but it's certainly tied in like Mm -hmm. sick navier is very important to the whispering way and thematically here but like as powerful as they're supposed to
1: be you're
0: not supposed to be able to fight them
1: you're not so yeah you're not across the campaign after the campaign is over Mm -hmm. yeah so pulling that kind of stuff up I knew that I wanted to make you guys mythic
0: sure as well so speaking about making us mythic I think there's at least in my mind two different ways you can kind of go about raising the power level for the end of the adventure and that's the one that's throwing a whole bunch of additional class levels on there instead of ending this at 14 you're ending it at 20 maybe but you went the alternate route and let's just forget the fact that there's five extra PCs Mm -hmm. and added mythic on top of that instead so Why pick
1: one over the other? Part of it is I wanted you guys to be higher level than 15. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't justify just being like, you guys level up from 14 to 17. (laughs) So that's part A. Part B is that I think what Mythic lets you do is keep a rail Mm -hmm. on your power level that leveling you up doesn't. So like I can make sure my casters only have up to 7th level spells here like I can make sure okay. I can make sure like my I can cap my alchemist bombs mm-hmm. you know there's certain things that only scale with level mm-hmm. that you can kind of like I can keep them from getting their capstones I can keep them from these things that might you know swing power in another way what I think is cool about mythic is a lot of the things that you get from mythic modify your existing abilities and let you use them in new ways and so it's a little bit less learning new things mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more like learning how you can adjust things that you already have. Yeah. To make them stronger. Stuff like the mythic power attack. It's like this is really cool. It's huge. Like it's mm-hmm. a huge benefit over a regular power attack. But I don't have to learn like a whole new feat or like right. figure out a new attack style for it. It's just I can turn it on and forget about the minuses. Truthfully that was one of my favorite
0: parts of the mythic stuff were the mythic feats. I've played with Iron Will on almost every single one of my characters for the last eight years. But then when you get mythic Iron Will and just every time roll two d20s, that just
1: feels good. Yeah, it feels good. And the biggest thing for me was I could have leveled you guys up multiple times, Mm -hmm. but you know how hard it is to level up once and like learn your new shit. Yeah. So I feel like that would have been harder, like me saying, okay, you guys go 14 to 17. That would have been more difficult for you guys to grasp those characters than saying 15 and one or two mythic ranks. Sure. I think the mythic ranks, as much as it is a new system for all of us, make enough sense because they're based off of things that you already have, and they just modify or make better things that you already have, that it's not like learning new aspects of your character. It's just kind of like, okay, well now my roll against spell resistance is this instead of that, or I get to roll twice
0: my Matumbe skill check, I'm just adding 20 to it. Just like, yeah, alright, cool.
1: What it does is it adds a lot of fortune effects. Mm -hmm. It lets you abuse your turn a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like it lets you... Lots uh, of extra attacks. Yeah, lets you do a lot of extra Mm -hmm. in a turn. Which is good and bad, and that's why a lot of people say, like, Mythic breaks the game. It does. It breaks the action economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way that if you're prepared for, you can mitigate, Mm -hmm. but... It exists. Yeah. And I think I'll pause here for a second and just
0: inject some of my own thoughts about Mythic for a moment. It was something that always intimidated me because we all know how complex the 1E system is. There's a fucking lot of it. Like, there's just so much. You could spend eight years playing the same class, but that class has 20 different archetypes and they all play a little different. And then you have... 40 different classes or whatever at this point with all of the prestige classes and this and the other thing. You can throw in a corruption system. You can throw in templates. I was always worried about Mythic because it's another system on top of all of that and the really only thing I've ever heard about it is that oh it's fun but it breaks the game. Mm -hmm. And it breaks the game in the ways that you're saying where like if you go into it very deliberately and you know what you're doing and come at it from the perspective of I want to enhance what I have already instead of just like trying to break things you're gonna have
1: a good time I had a blast with mythic I was shocked how much I enjoyed it truthfully when I think you know there's a really big difference between had I given you like a mythic rank at the start of book six Mm -hmm. and me giving it to you for these like really important like these are the heroes this should be a heroic combat combat mm-hmm. like these last couple combats being these like huge stakes world enders it makes sense for you guys to have heroic abilities even as small as like mythic surge so that you yeah. do fail a save like that feels like you guys are big heroes
0: so we're big heroes I know we talked about it in this in the episode but let's just recap it one more time for the people at home so that I don't forget Who got what here? How was Mythic implemented across the party? You did this very deliberately.
1: Yeah, so essentially this is how Mythic works in terms of a power scale of a character Mm -hmm. in general. Because all of your CR calculations are kind of like an in general. In general, every two Mythic ranks is a plus one CR. Okay. What I did here was I gave everyone one Mythic rank. And then any character that had a CR boosting template. Mm-hmm. So our true lycanthropes our a half fiend and our vampires did not get another mythic rank. Everyone else that didn't have one of those templates did get another mythic rank in order to boost their CR.
0: Yes. So your Matumbes of the world get two, your Sawyers of the world get one. Right. And I actually do think looking at the final couple of fights, that balances quite well. Everybody does get to shine at some point and they get to shine because they're taking different paths, but they're on an actually
1: pretty even playing field. Right, I mean, there's a reason why in book three, I'm like, hey Brooks, like, I can give you this template and make you feel stronger than everyone Mm -hmm. for like the last couple fights, and then you're leaving (laughs) because I'm not gonna give you this template permanently as Mm -hmm. a character and use that character for the rest of the campaign, or, you know, I can give you a corruption or whatever. Like, all these characters that have gotten templates, if you've noticed, have gotten, like, a template in a time where they're on their way out. Yes. Or in a time where it's the end of all things, and as in Tulia's case. It's like the... (laughs) You're heading to Galaspire anyway. Yeah. Uh, She got, like, one fight with her template without the Mythic ranks. So, in order to balance that for the end, I felt like everyone deserved their big power boost. Like, it makes sense that, like, I mean, especially like with the stuff coming for Phrasma, for it makes sense that like Matume at least gets like, you know, two mythic ranks. But I kind of felt like everyone without a template should kind of get that just so that... Not that the playing field is completely even, but it felt about as even as you could get it. Yeah.
0: So we all got one or two mythic ranks. What does that really mean? So when you're starting to apply mythic ranks, and I'm not going any further than two. I didn't look at anything further than two. We're not going to talk about anything further than two just because... We didn't go there. I can at a later (laughs) date. So when you're starting off with mythic, you pick a path and there are six of them, at least that I saw. And each one is sort of bucketed. There's the archmage, which is intended, it seems, for like an arcane caster. You have a champion, which is sort of like just a melee fighter, a guardian, which is supposed to be sort of tanky, a hierophant, which is the divine version of the archmage, essentially. I'm sure it plays very, very different, but it's the divine caster bump. Mm -hmm. A marshal, which is like kind of a charisma-y type, like boost the people around you. And then trickster, which is applying to like your rogues and stuff. At first level, you get a mythic feat, so basically take a feat that you already have and crank it up to 11 and it's going to be awesome, but you also unlock a bunch of abilities. Your mythic path should give you some sort of special attack or something when you take it, but you also get a couple different things. You get this pool of mythic power to pull from, so it's kind of like Eclipse's like
1: points that she invests. Yeah, like her focus points, you get this mythic power pool.
0: Yes. And as you use your abilities, that pool
1: dwindles down
0: until you're done and you can't really use your mythic abilities anymore. You get this ability called Hard to Kill, which basically just means if you drop down below zero, I think it's like double your con instead yeah. of your regular con, which we actually used in our Return of the Rune Lords game, late game, with no other real mythic abilities. And I actually liked that quite a bit at high levels because it gives you a little just bit a of padding. Bit more flexibility. Yeah. When everything is so rocket taggy and stuff. You also get an ability called Surge, which is basically like spend an immediate action and roll an additional D6 on a D20. Very similar to a Matumbe Inspiration, but that's just a nice little bump if you really need something. So everyone's got that at level one. And then our select group of people that got two ranks are getting a couple extra things. You got an ability score boost. So that's plus
1: two to an ability score, which I is think worked great. really well because like the ability score boost like... Everyone that got a template got an ability score.
0: Mm -hmm. That
1: was wonderful.
0: And then the other thing that you're supposed to get at rank two is something called Amazing
1: Initiative, which we replaced with an extra mythic feat. Griff, I know you have thoughts on this. Yeah, I just think Amazing Initiative with nine PCs was going to be like way too much. Amazing Initiative, basically what it allows you to do is on your turn. You can use one of your mythic pool points to take another standard action mm-hmm. that action can't be to cast a spell but still it's another standard action and i just felt like the turns were gonna start to be ridiculously long like yeah. they're already long <laughs> with nine players and with mythic abilities to add that on top to be able to just like okay i take two standard actions this turn i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna go do that mm-hmm. was a bit much one of the suggested You know, replacements for that is just another Mythic feat, which I think is completely fair.
0: Yeah. Truthfully, did that hamper our players that got that second rank? I mean, rules as written, sure, but I totally agree with you that I think that's where Mythic starts to break down a little bit, at least from what I saw. It's just like, oh, this is going to get way too
1: clunky. I really, and I I liked getting the extra mythic feats. I like mythic feats. What can I say? Yeah, I mean, that's like the meat and potatoes of myth. Yeah. like, you you really want those mythic feats. Even as a caster, it's like, the mythic feats let you take either, like I was taking like mythic uh, spell focus and that Mm -hmm. kind of shit. It's like, that stuff's awesome. Yes.
0: Okay, so I've got a couple more questions before we get into our listener questions. And we got a few of them I'd like to get through because lots of people have been submitting questions with the end of carrying crown coming about so griff how do you adjust for a nine person mythic template etc stacked party with encounters that just have fewer enemies like how do you maybe this is a a good advice to people out there how do you take a party that's as stacked as we are and they're supposed to fight one dragon or one wizard or whatever how do you make that like still a compelling fight one that's going to be a challenge for the party, but also, like, I don't
1: know, fun for you to play? Right, (laughs) right. It's difficult, I'll tell you that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not... (laughs) I've been now GMing for eight to nine player characters, though, for the majority of this book, Mm -hmm. and what's worked for me is I kind of... I take, like, the APL of you guys as, like, a four-person party, add three to it. That has been working for me as Mm -hmm. your APL, and then what I want to challenge you... You know, I, I do the standard math and, and go yeah. above that. So like when you guys were in Renchurch, like most of the shit that I was throwing at you was like a CR 16, 17 encounter mm-hmm. that you guys were completing relatively simply. Yep. When I wanted to, you know, push it, you know, you guys were fighting like CR 19 things between like the Nana Opal fight, which was almost a CR 20. I think it might've been a CR 20. And like the basement one, which was a CR 19, like those, ch- the, or sorry, no, they weren't cause they, I lowered the levels <laughs> cause it was four and four, but like the, um, like those chitin fights and stuff, those were all like already CR 15 creatures or CR 14 with the advanced template or something. So mm-hmm. like you were fighting a CR 17 encounter and doing well. So now, when you have to account for, okay, they're all level 15 and they all have templates or mythic ranks, you're all essentially level 16, 17. Mm-hmm. So, like, to challenge you, like, this sick navier fight is a CR 22 dragon. Yeah. With a buddy. And a CR, you know, 17 dragon. Yeah. And it was over fast, but I wouldn't say it was like a complete pushover combat. Oh. No. So I think that math worked okay for me. Mm-hmm. It's janky as fuck. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. But like, it worked. Yeah.
0: It's like art, not science at that point, right? Where you kind of have to have an idea of what your party's capable, have an idea of what the enemies exactly. capable What's going to work best? Do I throw a million enemies at them? Or do I have one that can do a whole bunch of crazy shit or a, a pairing of, of enemies that works really well together? There's probably not a perfect solution, but I think you've basically cracked as mechanically close as you can to making this work like on paper. Yeah,
1: like if you want to know what I realistically do, it's realistically I know my party's strengths and weaknesses and I try to have if I have a multi-enemy encounter, I try to have something in that encounter uh you know only Duran can tackle, something in that encounter that only You know, Ick and Saw can tackle something in that encounter that only the casters can tackle. Mm -hmm. So that it splits your resources and then it's, you know, two versus one instead of nine versus one.
0: That also lets everybody shine as well,
1: too, because the last thing that you
0: want and this is something that I don't know that we've addressed a ton on this show is just like these comments are fucking long like we leave a fair amount of stuff on the cutting room floor just because it's like oh I gotta look this spell up oh we gotta check rules on this Mm -hmm. this that and the other thing these last few episodes were cutting a lot out just so that it's listenable but that could mean like let's take Brooks for example he's got two very heavily melee focused characters Mm -hmm. if there's not like something for him to throw a melee character at
1: He's basically sitting there for three hours doing nothing. Right. Like, that sucks. Exactly. So, you have to make it doable in that respect. But by the same token, like, you know, I've been throwing spell resistance on yeah. stuff that doesn't necessarily have spell resistance because they're getting hit by four spells. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been throwing DR in places it doesn't necessarily go, or at least raising ACs to a point that can, like, withstand a SAW 4 round attack. <laughs> like, you know. So, there's a little bit of like game mastery behind the scenes that is adjusting the monsters themselves Sure, with either templates or just going in and saying, okay, like, sorry, I got to like crank this guy's con to eight, like plus eight. Like I, he's just going to be gone in three seconds where he's at. Yeah. So all of that, all of that, <laughs> keep, keep it all in mind when you're planning your own encounters at home, folks. Just what I would say is just like, this has been, an exercise in showing you guys like basically as much as you can stretch as a, like a first edition GM mm-hmm. you don't have to put yourself through this I'm doing it for the sake of the story honestly like I want these characters to all be able to contribute to this final combat I want them to all feel epic and I'm willing to make the sacrifice of having to design these weird encounters
0: mm-hmm.
1: to still make it fun Yeah, but like you don't have to do that in your game you don't have to have a nine person party. Do what I did at the end of Ren Church for all of Ren Church and keep the two parties split. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: do what we did in Return of the Rune Lords. Yeah. And the parties are separate, they're doing their separate things. They both mean something, but they're not all eight together. Yeah. And they
0: can meet up at some point and say, oh my God. It's been so difficult, I hope you're doing okay.
1: Oh no, there's two things we need to do simultaneously. Guess we're gonna have to split back up. Yeah. Like. I think the coolest part of running a game that way is that you can allow your parties to like mix and match, yeah. which is fun.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I mean, like we did with the Opal Encounter, it's like yeah. Airbear and Igmer flipped, they were the only ones that flipped, but still made different parties. Absolutely. So don't do what I do, but if you do what I do, take your APL, add three, and then that's your kind of starting point if you're at 8 people.
0: Cool, man, cool. Well, I have two final wrap-up questions here to put the bow on Mythic at least for this discussion. Would you ever consider going higher
1: than two Mythic tiers? So, I actually I think we had this conversation when we were like debriefing from the mm-hmm. from the finale itself. I think it would be really fun to run a campaign where people take a mythic path that is not their main class path yeah so like what i really loved about brooks's decision with icber was to have him be a marshal which helps him like not really at all as a fighter Mm -hmm. but like leads him in the direction of being like this mythic Prince of Wolves. Yeah. It's like very character driven and cool.
0: And it opens up his character a lot too. It's not just optimizing how hard I can hit now. It's, oh, I can hit pretty hard, but also I'm a leader who's got like charisma who can
1: apply that Mm -hmm. in situations. That's fun. So I think... A campaign like that would be really cool yeah it would be a little difficult to do with like archmage and hierophant mm-hmm. I, I think you know maybe that would work like if you were a paladin and you took hierophant or something yeah like you'd get some cool abilities for your spell casting without like mm-hmm. but you'd, you'd have to at least be like a one quarter or whatever caster yeah for me i think
0: Before we did all this, I would say absolutely not. I definitely don't want to do more than just dipping my toes in Mythic, but I think we've proven that it can work and can be a lot of fun. What I will say is that I think that's a great idea. Um, Diversify the characters a little bit. Um, The other thing that I would say is that I'm still nervous about the system, especially the higher you get up in Mythic ranks. So that just like I don't think I would go higher than two mythic tiers unless it was with, like, a GM that not only do I trust really well, but I know is, like, really good at, like, math and encounter building. Yeah. Like, yeah, If yeah, somebody it's think... just, like, fun and, and, like, is GMing for fun and, like, doesn't take it too seriously, I'd be like, ah, maybe this isn't the game for me. But if the GM really knows their shit, I could be
1: convinced. Like, I think you basically, if you're gonna go into this concept, you have to realize that you're gonna have to rework your encounters yeah. to mostly be mythic, mm-hmm. because... As you guys saw with the dragon fight, like, there's severe detriments to non-mythic creatures fighting mythic creatures. Yeah. And, and like, realistically, like, these great worm elder dragons or whatever maybe should have, like, a mythic (laughs) tier or something. But they were, you know, they were conceptualized before Mm -hmm. the mythic system. Yeah. And there's a lot of abilities in mythic that's just, like hey if i throw a mythic dominate or something at you guys like if you're not mythic and you succeed you fail yeah like doesn't matter hey so my last question and this is a little bit of a curveball here do you have any desire for mythic in pf2e that's interesting i think the math is so tight in 2e that it would be difficult to Mm -hmm. rewrite a system that gives you the kind of because again i think one of the cool things about mythic is how it breaks the action economy right you really can't do that in 2e without just ruining the system yeah so I think something that would be cool is if they came up with like a variant of like the dual class system Mm. that was like a myth so obviously power is going to be higher yeah but like a variant of the dual class system that is like here's your class again but with like mythic versions of things so that like the prerequisite part of mythic is still there. Like, it's, like if I'm a fighter and I'm like the dual class fighter with mythic fighter, I have to take power attack on my fighter to be able to take the mythic power attack. But maybe that gives you like an extra die Yeah, yeah. on the power attack or something. It, it would have to be way toned down. It could definitely work, but I don't really see 2E like scaling beyond 20 much.
0: Right. I kind of hope that it doesn't, but again that I start questioning myself is just me being scared like I was in 1E and then actually might end up liking it. What I'll say is that I hope it doesn't happen soon. If it does happen, I hope it happens like way late in the PF2E life cycle so that we can understand how the kineticist works and understand how whatever comes after that works and that and mm-hmm. what's after that and what's after that and all of the rules rewrites that are happening with like the remaster. Like, let's get all of the core shit under our belts. And when we're about to retire the system, then let's fucking pull the ripcord and do crazy shit. Yeah. Like, back
1: quarter, let's throw mythic end.
0: Yes. Don't give it to me now when clearly there's like years left in the system and then every. Adventure. every homebrew campaign, every standalone module is going to have this hanging over it where it's like, where can
1: I add this to, what, what does this change? I think my biggest thing with two E that I've been impressed by though, is the game mastery guide variant. System. Oh yeah. The variants. Yeah. And I, I honestly feel like mythic would be a variant and they would figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like free archetype is most people are included standard. Yeah. Like, you could argue that something like a dual class is just mythic like Mm -hmm. you know that that's like the add-on to power or you could argue that like hey you're playing mythic when you add free archetype and dual class and ancestral paragon and like whatever like that's enough to be whatever the power level is that you're trying to do mythic
0: all right, so let's get into some listener questions, man. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. So let's kind of fly through these. We're going a little late on time here. So we're just going to start right off the rip. Tommy Artery asks, and I'm skipping a source question. We'll catch it later. For Griff, how would you proceed if you had to turn this AP into a three-act module?
1: I honestly think this one capped really well with the death of Arn Vrood. Me too. So I think that I said, was like a really good... I said
0: that on an episode like four weeks ago. Like I think I yeah. think
1: honestly that's a really great three-part adventure. You know, you guys thwarted the Whispering Way putting together this thing with Vrood. Yeah. And then there's no Dark Rider and no, you know, Ill Marsh or whatever. It's just, it ended in Felgraf. That's such a
0: curious answer for you to give, but it's so the cleanest. Just
1: cut it at the 50% mark. Vrood is definitely, like, at least the way we played him yeah. with the evil interludes and shit. Like he's definitely like the big bad. Yeah. And and even in the adventure, you don't even hear about a Divi until book six. mm -hmm. Like, so like Vrood
0: definitely feels like much more of a big bad. Yeah. I think that is the cleanest way to do it. And I'm not going to argue anything else. Yeah. All right. So from monkeys, bears and robots, assuming there's no TPK in the finale, is there a specific encounter where it felt like this is it? The party is doomed. This may be recency bias for me, but I said it on air. It was the Nana Opal fight. Like I was just looking at who was left on the board. And if Brooks didn't figure out the soul gem thing, it was like, this party's dead. It's not happening. Yeah. It's over. Mm-hmm. I know we've had other ones. I talk about this all the time. Maybe not on Mike, but the basement fight in the evil interlude where Saw's just 1v1ing the chitin while the rest of the party fucks around.
1: Like that was scary. I thought the Vrood fight could have turned on a dime. Drew fight could have been bad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, especially when, like, Saw missed the hit against Proud and Matumbe that would have mm-hmm. perma killed him, like, Eclipse sitting in the freaking condrain or whatever. I thought we were very close to a TPK on that one. Because I don't think there's a lot that the party could have done without, like, Eclipse dealing damage to him.
0: Yeah. Were there any, like, weird encounters or random encounters or, like, not bookender encounters that you were like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm about to wipe this party?
1: I think I was legitimately scared with those, like, advanced ghouls in the basement of that burned building where I had, like, I'd taken Eclipse down and almost, Mm. like, would would have coup de grace Eclipse. I had someone else paralyzed, and it was like, oh my, I'm gonna coup de grace chain these people. I, I actually thought... Like, I knew you guys would run, but I thought that warehouse fight in Turner's place was going to be a massacre. Yeah. Like once, once <laughs> I had a couple it of, was. Like, oh my God, that Gee, was I, I going so about poorly for yeah. you guys. It was level appropriate, certainly. Mm-hmm. That one was scary because it got to the point where like, yes, I did kill Quinly with a coup de gras. Like I could have potentially killed Matumbe with a coup de gras. Like, mm-hmm it got pretty dire just from sheer volume of ghouls. And then you have like this vision and sound barrier between like your actual casters yeah. and the people that are in trouble. And that was when
0: I, was, I think we still had Freya at the time. She was like outside or something trapped as the healer. And I couldn't see anything inside because I didn't have dark vision. That was a mess. That yeah. was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. That was rough. That's
1: a like, boy forgot about that one basically entirely that's that was a good one i mean even if you think about it like you guys fucking like edge of a knife the first viv fight yeah like that was like you and eclipse like bleeding out on the top of the tower with like with the promethean barely getting killed Mm -hmm. and that big electricity burst that almost took there were a lot of fights that were really fucking close man yeah (laughs) There's just like a sheer amount
0: of fights that like some of the details start to blend together a little bit. I mean, we did 257
1: episodes of this. But yeah, we had a lot of really close ones. Like, There was even like the one in Undiomede House. You remember Mm -hmm. when like Air Bear opens the door and the fucking evil priest is right there and just harms him. Yeah. And he's like down to one. Weren't
0: we like getting fucked up by a swarm too in the Undiamete house at some point? That was like really yeah, bad. Yeah, you guys
1: ran away from like the tick swarm. Tick swarm.
0: Yeah, tick swarm was or fucking you like us up. It off.
1: And like the color out of space, I remember Cross being space. really tough. Hey, throwback. I can't remember
0: exactly how bad this got. I thought it was really bad, though. The Piper and the Father Charlatan combo. Oh, where yeah. Where, like, was Mithube's off in Dreamland, level, and I like man. rolled really well and and made my way out of that, but everyone's getting their shit fucked up yeah, in the, the real world at the same yeah.
1: time. Yeah, I mean, the Splatterman fight had a couple of you. Yeah. On the Oof. You guys had it rough. You're right. <laughs> you really pulled no <laughs> yeah. punches this campaign. If there's more fights than they were about to die than weren't.
0: And honestly, I feel like we've basically just scratched the surface of tough fights. Like, there's probably two dozen more. That, yeah. Or like, yeah. just absolute, like, gut busters. Next question here. This is a fun one, and it doesn't have to do with carrying crown, but I just had to bring it up. This username, NGIAC, asks, wondering what spell Skull and Shackles would be named after if it wasn't still going to be HLP. And I think I have the right answer for you, Griff. Yeah. Hideous Laughter Productions presents Skeleton Crew.
1: Yep, that's exactly the spell I was going for. Hell yeah, brother. Skeleton Crew. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of good, like, Mm -hmm. maritime spells. Monkeyfish. (laughs) Monkeyfish is good. Control
0: water. Fence to feet. I actually just found like a this Reddit thread. So we're starting a pirate campaign. What are some like good spells? There's a bunch of them, Buoyancy. But the one that I really liked was Cloud of Seasickness.
1: Cloud of Seasickness.
0: <laughs> would be such a good show name.
1: <laughs> in that it sucks so bad yeah. in the way that I like when things suck. There's like one that's like Curse of the Curse of something or other. That's a, mm. like, a sea themed one. Nice. I, don't, I haven't seen that
0: one yet, but yeah, this thread is gold for finding stuff for this. I mean, it's, it's gotta be
1: skeleton crew. It, it, right. Yeah. That is, it's a perfect spell. That is, that is perfect.
0: All right. So we hit that one and then we're going to end on another fun one. This comes from our good friend, the redacted demon. Here's a question for Griff. Do you have specific playlists slash music themes for the different campaigns you run to do prep work to? For me, and she runs a whole bunch of different campaigns. She lists out Curse of the Crimson Throne is classic punk and grunge for the angry, dirty city vibes. Wrath of the Righteous is classic metal. Stolen Fate is just bunches of Prague. Rise of the Rune Lords is just lots of real good classic rock. And I think she did a pretty good job of ascribing the different adventure paths there. But what do you, uh, you listen to?
1: Caring Crown was definitely Powerwolf for a while. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like, what do I want to call it? Orchestral metal, maybe, mm-hmm. is a good term for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Skulls and Shackles, obviously, Ale Storm and Pirate Metal. I'm mostly a metal guy. For Stoke Curse, there's actually a playlist out there that sometimes I'll listen to that somebody else made for their Curse campaign that I love. It's got some of the classic, like, some about Curse makes me feel like, because it's like royalty is the enemy, it mm-hmm. feels very like JRPG ish to me. So yeah. there's like, There's a lot of, like, JRPG soundtracks on it, but then there's, like, the, like, Ooh, look what you made me do. Oh, God. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So, like, it's a a weird playlist, but I think for Curse, it's, like, all-female singers.
0: I think that makes sense. That's the
1: common thread, is it's, like, all-female vocalists. Mm -hmm. And then for Speak With Plants, it's Southern Gothic. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I'm not doing a ton of prep work for that. It's just when I'm doing shit for my character.
0: I'll hop in here, and I think the listening audience knows most of the answers for me, but I just love talking about music, and I love talking about the music that I love. And music is such an integral part of how I build characters, so start with the easy ones. You've got... Sawyer is through and through Beartooth. In fact, if you go back and listen to the evil interludes...
1: You just put Beartooth, li- or Beartooth songs or lyrics oh, in yeah. all of his the, stuff. It, all of his stuff has Beartooth
0: lyrics in them, but you can actually go and listen to like the evil interludes and kind of marry them up with different albums of theirs. Um, so as you progress through the album cycles, you make your way from disgusting to below, essentially. And when Sawyer wraps his story up, that's like Where they're at in their catalog. So
1: I I really appreciate that. That's one of my favorite non funny Easter eggs that we've been doing Mm -hmm. for like four years. Yes. Is like you and I, whenever we do like a sauce scene, like I fucking slipped them into the like funeral speech. The the Anya Anya funeral. Yeah, yeah, the the eulogy. Like we keep like slipping them in.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, it's, that's such a great, yeah, not inside joke, but like inside thing that
1: we do. It's, so it's, it's it's an Easter egg for yeah, sure. It's Easter like, egg. hey, if you know Beartooth, like you're gonna start to catch on with Saw. It's like, what the fuck? Like, Satanist is in season is the most telling one. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've heard that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then if you listen to the whole thing, it's like, holy shit, they put like 15 Beartooth lyrics in just like his scenes. They, they yeah, they just like we're just we're just copy-pasting <laughs> lyrics here.
0: So yeah, obviously that's the one that really stands out. For Matume, I was listening to a lot of like early architects and ghost inside, but I, I go all over the place with him really. Just anything with like a good drum and beat. I was doing a little parkway drive for him, too. Vec to the, the very obvious one is the Wonder Years, not quite as on the head with Sawyer and Beartooth but I draw so much from that band. Just their like very specific way that they construct lyrics that are sad, but very real. They like, they're from Philadelphia and and they reference like very specific shitty things that happen in the city. And it's like, well, hey, that's kind of like living in Corvosa. Like it all takes place in one city. That band's identity is really tied in with the city that they're in. And Beck is really tied in with the city. I think it just works really well. I'll also say that recently, i love that you brought up the anime thing because for vec i've been listening to this song that came out very recently by bringing the horizon called loss it is just straight up emo pop and i could like see an anime opening to that and i just think about this i'm gonna sound like such a fucking nerd i just like replay Scenes in my head when I'm listening to that song from Your the anime campaign, have the but like I, yeah, I anime credits them. <laughs> so like I, in my head, I have like all of these characters stylized like anime and like the songs playing while I'm listening to it. It's so much fun. And then the last thing that I'll say on here, well, second to last thing, is that I've definitely already started picking songs for Skulls and Shackles. Ooh, Rock's Naughty I need to think more about. I don't draw too heavily on music for him, but there are definitely certain songs that I think just work. Couple avalanche theme songs, of course, yeah, a couple war theme songs, but I don't think I've mentioned this before. If you listen to the album Routine Maintenance by Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties, again, likes Sawyer being so tied to Beartooth or the Wonder Years being so tied to Vec, the Routine Maintenance album by Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties isn't quite as on the nose with Duran, but that is his story arc. That is a concept album that has one continuous story through all of the songs. And the emotional journey that that character goes on across those songs is the same emotional journey that I take Durin on. So it's a fun thing if you ever want to check that out.
1: I will say the only non-female lead singer band I listen to, or when I do bestow curse shit. I love listening to The Clash when I think Oh, sure, yeah. I don't know why. Something about it, like, I know everybody, like, ties it to, like, Gotham, but it just, like, it feels like dirty London to me. Hey, I'll take it, man. That's awesome. Well, you know
0: what? That is pretty much it as far as listener questions goes, which means we are at the end of our episode, Griff. This was a fun one. Just nice to chat with you a little bit for the first time in a while. (sighs) Those listeners are getting so close to the end. I know. This is gonna drop and then two more episodes of the HLP and they're done with carrying crown. Crazy. Then you're done with it. Alright. Put that adventure to the side. Well, don't forget we have our post-finale Twitch stream charity to be determined. That is going to be on the 15th. I believe we locked in
1: 8pm on yes. Twitch Eastern. Yes, 8pm Eastern on Twitch at twitch.tv slash laughter
0: Alright,
1: well, if you can
0: make it out, we'd love to see you there. We're going to be talking all things finale. We're going to be talking about I don't know, that's pretty much it.
1: If you're on the Discord, suggest things that we could... I mean, suggest things that aren't like us taking a shot that we could do for donations. Yeah. I'd like to do it as a charity thing. I mean, we're not trying to like profit off the end of the show or anything, but it's always nice when you guys get together and support a cause.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're definitely excited to um, make the world a little bit of a better place with the conclusion of our show. And hey, maybe I'll dress up. We'll see baby yeah yeah i'm dressed the softest baby ever yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well this has been a blast griff you made it out of the zone of truth congratulations you succeeded your will save is there anything that you want to say to the people at home finish your drinks we'll see in two weeks later